First John 4, 7 says, Dear friends, let us love one another. I can't think of a more relevant and needed plea in the days that we're living in. Dear friends, let us love one another. This plea is for us to love one another in an unconditional way. It doesn't say, let us love one another if we share the same point of view in politics. Let us love one another if we think the same way about what's wrong with our society. Let us love one another if a person respects us, is nice to us, is complimentary, is affirming toward us. No, it simply says, dear friends, let us love one another. Listen to what Jesus says over in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. He said this, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Last time in our study through the letter of 1 John, John, he warned us to not believe everything that we hear about spiritual things. We need to test the spirits, he said, to see whether they are from God or not. Well, today, John brings our focus back around to the topic of love. Love has been a continuing theme throughout the letter of 1 John. John has already talked to us about the importance of love over in chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, and in chapter 3, verses 10 through 24. And now he addresses the subject again. This is the third time that he talks about love in a major way in this letter. You might remember that John's writing style in this letter is to do just that, to cycle back around to the same main ideas again and again. And see, if we miss the importance of love for one another, then we're missing a major idea in this letter. Just to help us see how important this is in this particular passage that we're looking at today, in these 15 verses that we're going to look at today, The word love appears 27 times. On average, then, the word love shows up twice in every verse in this passage. You think about that. Jesus himself, he taught that the two greatest commandments are love God and love our neighbor. John, he learned that important lesson from Jesus, and he didn't forget it. May we be good students of Jesus, too, by learning this all-important lesson about love and not forgetting it. Do you remember the story about John as an old man that I shared as part of the introduction to this letter uh, several weeks ago? When he was an old man, he was living out his final days in Ephesus, and he was known as the Apostle of Love. Because he was so centered on this idea of the people in the church loving one another. It's said that when John was very old, he wasn't even able to walk any longer without the assistance of others having to be physically carried to the church gatherings. But he was known for repeating the same words to the believers again and again. He would say, little children, love one another. Little children, love one another. 
one another. That was John's mantra. Little children love one another. And so, in a sense, we have arrived at John's mantra in this letter today. So in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, he writes, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Let us love one another. This is John's plea to all believers, all followers of Jesus, all Christians of all stripes and flavors. He includes himself using the words, let us. He recognizes his own obligation to love as much as anyone else's. He says love comes from God. God is the source of love, the originator of love, the reservoir from which our love comes from. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. When we were studying 1 John chapter 2, verse 29, we noted at that time that the children of God share his character traits. They inherit their father's characteristics. He is righteous, and those who are his children seek to follow in his footsteps, pursuing righteousness in their life. John wrote, everyone who does what is right has been born of God. Well, now in 1 John 4, 7, John says the same thing about love. Our Heavenly Father is characterized by love, and His children are to be characterized by love. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So conversely, those who do not love show themselves to not be God's children. They don't have the hereditary traits of God as their father. He is obviously not their father. They don't have a DNA match, so to speak, because God is love. It says this is repeated again in verse 16, God is love. It's important, I think, to note that it does not say love is God. It says God is love, not love is God. There are people who have made love into a God based on the numbers of songs and poems and stories and paintings and movies and TV shows. It would be understandable if an alien visiting our planet came to the conclusion that love is the God of this world. More art and passion has been directed toward romantic love than to any other topic in this world. But love is not a God. John is not saying that love is God, nor is he referring to romantic love when he talks about love. Instead, John says that love, agape, love, is a fundamental part of God's character, of who God is. Verse 9, he begins to expand on this. He says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I mentioned a moment ago that when John talks about love, he's not talking about romantic love, but agape love. And in these verses, verse 9 and 10, we're given a beautiful description of God's agape love. Let's linger here for a few moments. And I know this is a familiar story for many of you, but oh, it is a wonderful story and one that we uh, never tire of reflecting on. It says, this is how God showed his love among us. 
The first thing to note is that God showed his love to us in a tangible, real, significant, meaningful way. He didn't just tell us he loves us. He showed us. He spoke to us through actions and not just words. It says he sent his one and only son. The fact that he gave his only son is emphasized here. The Greek word translated one and only, it means unique, one of a kind, the only one. God the Father gave his precious, beloved, unique, one of a kind, only son to us. You know, after becoming a parent myself, these words took on a deeper meaning for me. I would give up my own life before I would give up the life of one of my children. I think most parents would share my heart on that. The, the idea of giving up my own child for someone else is something that I can't even think about. It's a place I can't even go, not even with my imagination. God has done the unthinkable for us. He gave his one and only son. It says he sent his one and only son into the world. The infinite God entered finite time and space, taking on the limitations of humanity. God didn't enter into a pristine, unsoiled world like some carefully controlled scientific experiment in a laboratory. Instead, he entered into the riot of humanity's sin, damage, broken world filled with war and disease and heartbreak and chaos. That's the world he entered. He was born into poverty under questionable moral circumstances. In a tiny town, in a small oppressed country, he owned nothing but the clothes on his back. He was misunderstood, rejected, betrayed by friends and family. He died a criminal's death. He did not just enter into this world, but he experienced this world firsthand, and he experienced a difficult, hard, difficult world. He did it that we might live through him. He was not on some kind of crazy adventure mission for his own kicks, like on a reality TV show like God vs. Wild. Here I am on planet Earth, the most forbidding, broken, messed up place in this corner of the Milky Way galaxy. No one has ever gotten off this planet alive, but I want to see what it's like firsthand to see if I can survive it. To start my journey, I've been dropped off in a small town in Israel called Bethlehem, naked and with no supplies of any kind. I need to find food, water, and supplies quickly if I have any chance of surviving through the night. God versus wild. That's not what he did. God came for our benefit, not his, not to show off. He had nothing to prove, he had nothing to gain. He came to give you and me life. It was a selfless, generous act on his part. <coughs> says this is love. This is agape, verse 10. This is the definition of love by demonstration. Show me is always more effective than tell me. Someone can give us a detailed explanation of something. Sometimes we get it. Sometimes we don't. But then they show us 
through demonstration and we say, aha, I get it now. Now I understand. And that's what God's done for us. He has demonstrated his love for us. He has not just told us. He has shown us. It says, not that we loved God, that, but that he loved us. God is the initiator of the relationship between us. He sought us out. He made the first move. He extended his hand to us. He reached out toward us. He loved us in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our lack of interest, in spite of our arrogance, in spite of our determination to do anything otherwise. God loving us and reaching out to us was not a show of weakness, but the very opposite. It takes great strength to put aside one's own rights in order to reconcile with those who have wronged you. God has every right to annihilate us for what we have done to him, what we have done to one another, and what we have done to this planet. But instead, he chose to seek reconciliation with us. He knew we were powerless to do what would be necessary for reconciliation to take place. So he did it for us. He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. His son became a human being and did for us what we were unable to do for ourselves. He atoned for our sins with his own life blood, making it possible for the guilty to go free. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Romans 5, 6, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So with the sacrificial love of God as our example, we're encouraged to love one another in the same way. The reasonable and appropriate response to the love that God has shown us is to love one another in the same way. Now, not literally dying on a cross of crucifixion as a sin sacrifice for each other, but putting the needs of one another before our own. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. It says no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another. Our, <clears throat> our loving one another makes the invisible God visible. It makes the untouchable God touchable, the inaudible God audible. Have you ever seen yourself as a representative of God in this way. See, when you extend love to others, you are helping to bring God into view for them. Your acts of kindness, your touches of assurance, your words of encouragement. You, 
You are one of the ways God loves others. You are one of the ways God loves others. He loves others through you and me. His love is made complete in us. There is a completing process that takes place in us when the love of God flows through us to others. We're completed, we're matured, we're finished, we're perfected, we're fulfilling our purpose. Think about this idea of God's love flowing through us for a moment. God is the source of love. The love we have for others comes from God. It flows through us to them. Think about it this way as an illustration. We're to be like a stream rather than a pond. The water that flows through a stream, it's fresh and it's full of life and it's uh, got vitality and life and it's beautiful. And it continues on to benefit whatever is downstream. The water that flows into a pond, by contrast, it, it just stays there and it goes stagnant. It, it starts smelling bad. The bottom gets covered with slime. The, the top gets covered with scum. The kind of life that's produced in a stagnant pond is very different from the life that's produced by a stream. The love of God, it needs to flow through us for it to produce the kind of life that is intended in us and in others. God's love is not doing its thing in us or others unless it's shared and it's passing through us. There's an infinite source of love from God. There's no reason then to hang on to and refuse to pass his love along to others. It will never run out. The, the more we love others, the more his love flows in us. When we don't love others, we are like a stagnant pond where slime and scum grow. Pass his love on. Be a stream rather than a pond. Verse 13 begins a new paragraph. It says, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. We talked a bit last time about how amazing it is that God the Holy Spirit lives in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in us. The Holy Spirit in us is evidence of our salvation and a guarantee of our eternal inheritance in Christ. The Holy Spirit comforts us counsels us, guides us, teaches us, protects us. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do good works that glorify God. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. Acknowledging Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, who died for us is necessary to have a relationship with God, to have salvation. To deny that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, who died as an atoning sacrifice for our sin, to deny that is to deny the most important and meaningful expression of God's love for us. 
So it's ludicrous to say God is love and yet not embrace Jesus as our atoning sacrifice because that is the most profound and important expression of God's love for us. Verse 16 says, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. It says, so we know and rely on the love God has for us. This is another way of saying that we are relying on the atoning sacrifice of the Son of God, since it is the supreme demonstration of God's love for us. If we are relying on the love God has for us, then we are relying on the expression of that love, which is the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. God is love. Here's that same statement that we looked at earlier in verse 8, that God is love. He is the source of love. It says whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Again, it's that idea that the very God, the Holy Spirit, is in us. And this idea, again, of the stream comes to mind for us. As we love others, God's love is moving in us and through us, and God's purpose for us is being fulfilled. And then in verse 17, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. This is connected with what we read in verse 16 when he writes, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. Relying on the love God has for us takes the fear of punishment away, the fear of judgment and condemnation away. We rely on God's love expressed in the sacrifice of his son Jesus for our sins. When we begin to understand God's love for us, what he has done for us, what he continues to do for us, his underlying commitment to us, giving the life of his son for us, putting his spirit in us, making us his children. Fear is driven out. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. As we noted earlier in verse 7, God is the initiator of this relationship. His love for us causes us to love him and others. Our love is a reaction and a response to his love. He is the source of our love. The love that we have comes from him. And finally in verse 20, says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, who anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Simply put, we can't be a lover of God and not be a lover of our brothers and sisters too. They're linked together. We can't have one without the other. If we really love God, we, it will produce in us love for others. This is the same truth 
really that we read earlier in verse 8, the person who is really in relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ will have as evidence of that relationship love for their brothers and sisters in Christ. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. In closing, I want to bring us back to those opening words of this passage that we've been looking at today when John said, Dear friends, let us love one another. Dear friends, let us love one another. Let us remember how much God loves us and let that be our inspiration and motivation for loving one another. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you for this reminder once again of this plea, this call, this responsibility, this admonition, this command that you have given us to love one another. Lord, make it so in us. Make it so in us that we would love one another. We thank you for your amazing love for us. Thank you. We pray that that would be the thing that motivates us, this incredible expression of love that you have shown to us through the giving of your Son. And the Lord, that we would now, in response to that, love one another. Make it so in Jesus' name. Amen.